Hello, hello, and welcome back to APIs You Won't Hate. My name is Mike Bifulco. I am one of your API co-hosts and guide through the world of designing APIs and building APIs and doing all sorts of good stuff with API tech. I am joined today for an interview with a new friend of mine, someone who I met at a conference here in North Carolina. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit today about his project and some of the sort of mission of open source and supporting open source and things like that. So today I'm chatting with Dudley Carr from StackAid. Dudley, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Super happy to have you here. I have lots of questions for you, and I'm, I'm super glad you were able to make it because uh, from our initial conversations when we sort of bumped into each other all over the place at All Things Open, your work seemed very interesting to me. And I think a lot of the squad here that is uh, part of the APIs You Won't Hate community will really identify with what you're doing. So I want to talk all about that. I want to talk about how you got to where you are and what you're doing at StackAid and uh, just kind of get some of the history on, on the project and yourself. So tell me a bit about yourself and tell me about StackAid. Absolutely. So I've been a in the software engineering space for the last 22 years. I did my undergraduate in computer science at Stanford and graduated at the peak of the dot-com bubble burst and briefly did a stint in finance. I actually worked at Lehman Brothers on their exotic derivatives wow. until I realized that stuff is insane. <laughs> I got out. Um, in the last 20 years, I've spent all of it working with my brother, who also did computer science. And so we've gone from one venture to the next. So he is not here, but is probably the uh, more important of the duo. And anyway, we did our first startup in Rhode Island in my parents' basement. I think there was radon in that basement, but we, <laughs> we managed. We actually built in the you know, 2002, 2003, we built a product that became GTalker. It was Flash-based, you know, pre-action. It was Action Script, but before it was even before they released all of their UI toolkits and stuff like that. And back wow. back in was Python. It was initially a desktop application, then became a web-based product, and I developed that out, and ended up selling that to Google and moving to Seattle in 2006 to join the Google Talk team and work on that. And we spent about five years at Google going from one project to the next. First, we were in apps. At, and then eventually, I worked on Google Voice and then before leaving. So that was super formative for us. We learned a lot of things, met a lot of great people. I think that was kind of the heyday for Google. <laughs> and, yeah. and then after that, we we did some more startups, food-related food things. And then we joined a company called Moz that does SEO here in Seattle. And we spent another four or five years there. I helped run a large portion of their engineering team and then grew some of their product areas. That was also really formative for us in terms of, you know, understanding that space, growing teams and, you know, just going through various product life cycles and things like that. At the end of our Moz experience, we actually did another startup with a friend here in Seattle around crowdfunding. And this was actually crowdfunding for sports teams. So there was another platform that was really taking off. We found out about Stripe Connect and started using that. And really the, the basis for it was, you know, you have like a high school football team, they're selling candy bars and things like that. There's a lot of inefficiencies there. And there's a lot of price gouging actually by merchants who sell products to schools to do that. And so there was, um, you know, 2017, 2018, there was a, a real impetus to, you know, move all of that stuff online. And we have a lot of learnings that I think happy to chat about, but that was kind of formative for us in terms of thinking about, 
you know, how you move money from a set of people who want to support something to, to the recipients and what all is involved in that. That was also just kind of how we, we transitioned from that into consulting. So we've been doing consulting for the last four years. You know, we're kind of embedded engineers and product specialists and inside of organizations and to help them transfer in companies. And that's, it gives us a ton of flexibility and allows us to do cool things like what we've done over the last couple of years. At the beginning of the pandemic, by the way, we launched something called COVID Trace. Uh, so we had the hot idea to do contact tracing. We tried to launch an app immediately was blocked by Google and Apple. Oh, so wow. like, nope. You're not doing anything location-based and we're going to sort this out first, which is great. I think it was totally the right move on their part. We ended up adopting their exposure notification APIs that they have. And we ended up, I think we were the second app to launch in the United States. And so we launched with the state of Nevada and worked with them over the course of two years doing exposure notifications, rolling that out for iOS and Android. And then eventually moving all of Nevada off of our custom app onto iOS's built-in exposure notification functionality. And at the same time, building out other things in terms of getting results to people and things like that. So really interesting problems around health, totally unanticipated. So that that was actually, that was all open source. We released all of that infrastructure open source in the apps. And then, yeah, about a year ago, we started on Decade. Wow. So yeah, that's some um, incredible back history there. I, I uh, <laughs> was not prepared for that that much incredible problem solving that you've gotten into in your your career. For sure, as someone who lived through an entire pandemic of being you know locked in my home and not leaving and being very concerned about public health and those things, super super cool to hear you worked on that and and obviously impacted so many people and also you know collaborated with the the big organizations like Apple and Google. That's massively cool to hear. I also don't think I realized that you and I had some sort of shared overlap, not overlap, but but maybe an odd Venn diagram of career stuff. Before working at Stripe, I worked at Google for a couple of years, not quite on Google Voice, on Google Assistant, so voice related stuff at Google. Although I'm no longer there. And actually probably worth mentioning for posterity, since you and I met at All Things Open, I'm also no longer at Stripe. So I've, I've left Stripe in the past couple of weeks, but I'm very curious to hear about your experiences with Stripe Connect and, and all of that. And so all of this history of all the crazy things you've done and, and like working with complex teams and big problems and across devices and problem spaces, and I'm sure languages and all the other things that have changed since what, 2003, when you first got into the, the, the world of, of building things has led you to where you're at now. So uh, tell me a little bit about Stackade and what you're doing there. Yeah, so Stackit is a service that allows you to fund your second, first order and second order dependencies automatically. The impetus for it came about a year and a half ago when we, you know, repeatedly saw articles about people exasperated by their inability to sustain their open source project because, you know, the demands have increased on what they have to deliver and the reach. The reach of their open source is beyond their wildest dreams, but you know they they basically pay for it in their spare time, or it takes away from other paying opportunities that they have. And so, you see a lot of people kind of torn in those situations. We that really resonated with us, as I mentioned. You know, we had spent time in the fundraising arena, and we you know we saw definitely momentum around GitHub sponsors and Open Collective. But we we thought that there was an opportunity there. You know, I think what's super interesting about the software development space, as opposed to any other space where people are trying to raise money, is that we know we know what what you use, right? There's sometimes it's imperative, but increasingly it's a 
declarative um, way of specifying all your dependencies. And so we can we can do so many things automatically to determine what you use and, and potentially influence how we allocate money. And so the, the, the seed of an idea was there and we started exploring you know, the feasibility of it and what that would look like and is it an effective model? things like that. And so that's been the, like the last year and it's, it's been super interesting kind of flushing that out and we're, we've been super happy with the results and the initial reception when we launched a couple of months ago. So I've seen it and I'm sort of familiar with the product, but I want to make sure that, you know, it's abundantly clear what you mean when you're talking about this. So we're talking about funding open source projects in a way that is sort of sustainable and based on your dependency graph for projects that you're using. So when you say first and second order dependencies, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So by first order, so let's take a package.json in the Node ecosystem. If the first order dependencies are the the dependencies and dev dependencies that you list directly in that package.json. Now, those first order dependencies in turn have their own package.json where they list their dependencies. That would be the second order dependencies. Now, you can walk that tree down all the way down, and there are going to be lots and lots more. So... It's not unusual for a project to have literally thousands of um, dependencies in their dependency tree. But you know, from a funding perspective, you have to draw the line somewhere. Otherwise, you know, you take a certain amount of money and divide it into tiny little pieces and it becomes somewhat meaningless. So we wanted to, you know, the, the easy thing would, would be to just fund first order dependencies, but we we realized you know, a lot of those open source projects also want to give back. And if we, you know, defaults matter, and we realized that if we came up with a mechanism that, you know, when you fund a first order dependency, it passes some of that on to its dependencies, you know, you're doing that automatically for the ecosystem. Your benef- you don't have to have everyone opt in in order to have further reach into the ecosystem. And so, yeah, that was the impetus to fund first and second order dependencies. Yeah, got it. So from the, I, I, gosh, I don't even know what, what you would consider to be the end user, but from the perspective of someone who is doing the funding, doing the supporting, what does that look like? Like, what is what is the process for me, say, for a project I'm running? Let's say apisyouwon'thate.com, right? It's a, it's a Node.js project. We've got a whole heap of dependencies that are sort of built into this thing. What would I need to do to adopt Stackade? That's a great question. So, you know, when you go to stackade.us, there's the first step in the onboarding process is OAuthing with GitHub and actually adding the GitHub app to either your personal organization or some other organization where repositories are. We then scan those repositories for, you know, files like patch.json or, you know, others, depending on whatever language you're using. And we use those declarative list of dependencies. We ingest that and start looking at that dependency tree. Once we have that, we, you know, we, we put you in the dashboard, we show you what we had discovered, like which files and which repositories we're pulling from. And we presume initially that you you want to fund all of those. You can you can be selective, right? So I want to fund these repositories and these package.json, things like that. Based on that, based on the first order and second order dependencies we pulled from that, and you can then indicate as a level of support that you want to do on a monthly basis. We then calculate how much would go to each of those projects. So it's hard to dis- describe, but there's a tree that we have in the in the dashboard and it shows you, okay, 
you've got React or Lodash, for example, has a first order dependency. It has these second order dependencies, and it shows you the amount of your subscription that goes to each one of those. And so that breaks down. When you the next step is to enter a credit card, and then then you're off to the races. Yeah. Okay. So from, from my perspective, it is, you know, off with GitHub, get this thing added to my stack of, or to my GitHub organization, it'll go and, and I guess introspect and look at, or I guess inspect is probably even the right word there. Go look at all the projects I have and give me the, the first and second order dependencies for each is the target then from there to say, like, just using easy numbers, I want to donate a hundred bucks a month, uh, to these various organizations. I, I have one fixed cost and stack aid kind of does the rest from there. That's good. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So how, well, man, I, I feel like I have so many questions. How does the money get from A to B? Like, how do you track down the, the various projects that are then being funded? Yeah. So that's the fun part about building something like this is because it's effectively kind of like a marketplace, right? I mean, we, yeah. Yeah, we're engaging with both individual developers and companies who are supporters. And of course, I have a relationship with open source maintainers. So we have slowly been reaching out to open source maintainers kind of as we drive awareness or if they're receiving funding, we will reach out to them individually. But we also have been realizing that, you know, a lot of these people don't know who we are. There's a lot of things grabbing at their attention. So if they have an existing relationship with GitHub sponsors or Open Collective, we actually just use our corporate credit card and make the donation on those platforms. So our, you know, our goal is to get the money in their hands. And if they have an existing relationship, we, we lean on that. So that, that's worked out well. But, but primarily over time, I think for, for the ease of developers and to give them more control in terms of, you know, how those funds are allocated, especially if there are multiple people working on a project, things like, you know, we, we would like people to, you know, claim their project on Stackade. Yeah, sure. What does that look like? So we use Stripe Connect under, underneath. So, you know, when you log into the dashboard and you OAuth, you also have to OAuth with GitHub at the moment. We're working on hosting platforms, but you OAuth and we actually verify that you actually are a maintainer on those repositories that you're trying to claim. We list out those repositories, you claim them. And then as part of that claiming process, we also need to collect the Stripe account. So we send you over to Stripe. They get all of the, the details necessary to basically give us a, a Stripe account so that we can deposit funds into at the end of the month. And then that's it. Then you're then you're able to collect money from Stackhead. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So, so I'd imagine there's some population of people who are very pleased to find out they can come to Stackade, click a couple of buttons and have money being funneled into their project every month. That, that's got to feel pretty cool to be able to, I don't know, land that dream so seamlessly. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it speaks more to Strike than to us. I mean, honestly, that flow is amazing and there's so much complexity abstracted, but I think from a developer perspective, it is surprisingly easy to get up and running. And yeah, and I think it's, it's pretty great, you know, when you show up that a lot of the times there's, you know, a couple of bucks at the very least waiting for you there and you immediately get that. I think that has been an important part of Stackhead, which is, you know, you, you don't have to be a developer, like the developer doesn't have to have an account in order for money to accrue for them. So, you know, you have this kind of problem, I think, on GitHub sponsors and Open Collective initially where, 
people didn't have a relationship with those platforms, so there wasn't a way to get money to them. A lot of people have set it up, but there's also a large portion of the ecosystem that has no relationship with them. And so it was important for us to be able to accrue money and you know show people that you can actually, there's money in the open source that they've contributed and have that as a carrot for them to sign up. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting model. And having been exposed to GitHub sponsors a little bit, I know that like one of the nice things that comes along with, this actually may, might be a Stripe Connect requirement, but to access Stripe Connect, you have to essentially have viable tax information, right? Like the, the right information to be able to be paid out so that you're not just, you know, sending off money to some anonymous bucket somewhere, but instead theoretically it's tied to like an LLC or an individual proprietor or, you know, a more complex corporation in the case of bigger businesses. But a lot of that is, I would imagine, abstracted away from you. You just need them to, to you know, click the button and connect to Stack 8 with Stripe Connect. And one of the biggest concerns that we had out of the gate was, you know, all open source doesn't happen in the United States. There are people across the world. And the United States in particular has a requirement called Know Your Customer. Mm-hmm. And so you need a lot of details in order to verify their identity and make, you know, make sure that this isn't for money laundering or some other scheme like that. And so that is actually all abstracted away for us. And that is <laughs> pretty phenomenal. If we, you know, I, a, a two-person operation. There's just no way you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, do that. The, the scope and scale of those money laundering operations is far more complex and sophisticated than you know. I think we might realize as, as sort of an average consumer. You know, again, I'm I'm not at Stripe any longer, but during my tenure there, like you, you do financial crimes training, and it's pretty astonishing the creative ways people, you know, will will go to lengths to make money disappear or just harder to trace or whatever the case may be. And nice that you don't have to worry about that. There's a lot of mechanisms in place to detect and prevent that fraud as well. Okay, so I, w- I want to know a little bit about when did you what what signals were you given that this was something that was going to work. In other words, that when you're starting to build Stackade, because it's only a year and change old at this point, was there a moment or a series of events that sort of made you feel like, oh, this is something that actually has some momentum behind it? Yeah, I think, well, I think we had to prove to ourselves that it's viable. And, you know, we we have, there's some nuance to the model in terms of how we distribute that money. And, and more importantly, what's interesting about this problem is that it's not a one-time thing. So if no one shows up to collect the money, what do you do with that money? So there's a time component to it as well. Yeah. And we wanted, so we, there's complexity around the model to some degree in terms of implementing and doing it right. And we, we knew that the model itself needed to be validated and be comparable to things like GitHub sponsors and an open collective. So we actually spent a large portion of the development time building out a simulation. And so there's a like simulation.sacket.us has, it's, it's a, effectively like the, it's our entire site, but it has 5,000 made up subscribers at various price points using package.jsons that we had discovered on GitHub using Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph was pretty instrumental in terms of do, doing that. And we, we needed package.jsons that weren't on NPM, right? We didn't want to grab Lodash's package.json accidentally and because that, that's not representative of potential end users. So we took those 5,000 subscribers, plugged them in, you know, gave them some subscription amount between $25 per month to $100 per month. And we just looked to see 
what happens, right? What's the outcome of, of this? Like, is it just a couple of projects that get all the money or, you know, what does that distribution look like? And the, the, the end result is that, yeah, you, you still have a power, power law curve, just like you do on GitHub sponsors and open collective, but it was, it was more stretched out. So mm-hmm. we ended up, we ended up funding a larger percentage of the, let's say the top 25% of funds included a significantly larger set of projects. So even though they're at the tip of this parallel curve, they, you know, there's more of them included. That's great. But the middle, the middle was much broader, right? A lot more of the money was going into that. And so that, that was the validation that we needed, right? Internally to know that, yeah, we can reach more of this. I think in terms of the broader, like readiness for this type of product, I think, I think, you know, there's just a drumbeat of vulnerabilities and also just individuals um, really talking about the lack of funding, the lack of maintenance around this, around this. And so that is the validation that we continue to look for, you know, as an opportunity to do something about. I think we're, we're very nascent in terms of evangelizing this and, and driving awareness. But I think, you know, those two things kind of has given us the confidence that, you know, the timing is hopefully right and it's the right product for the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's an interesting, almost, it's not that you have a chicken and an egg problem to, to work with, but I feel like the whole funding nut to crack is that like we, we all on some level developers, engineering teams or organizations understand that it's important to keep these projects funded so that they stay up to date so that vulnerabilities get shut down, bugs get addressed, functionality gets added, whatever the case may be. Um, it seems like a lot of the social pressure lands on individuals to do the funding in a lot of ways. And I think that maybe is a law of numbers thing. Like people, you know, you get a lot more call to action as an individual to go fund things. But my guess is that the bulk of the volume of money is coming from organizations who are willing to fund open source things. Is that roughly right? Yeah. So we actually were able to analyze all of the open collective transactions. They do this amazing job of Every transaction on open, the open source collective on open collective, you can literally download all of the transactions. And so I did that <laughs> and I went and analyzed wow. them. And yes, you know, organizations like Google and, and others, they do put in a ton of money. But if I remember correctly, I would say over 60% of it are from individuals donating at, at much smaller amounts. So they're, wow. They have a long tail and it is a significant portion of the contributions. And so it, it's, it wasn't as skewed as you would think towards large organizations. That, that is a, a bigger percentage than I would have guessed. That's really interesting. So what, what is your call to action or maybe your pitch for those who might have the capacity to donate? Like how, how is the, I guess the, is there a sales process for this? Is it something that you're going to organizations and people and trying to get them to discover and use Stackade as donors? You know, I think, I think there are certain organizations that are very attuned to open source and, you know, they have open source program offices and they are actively engaging those communities and they are, they're looking, you know, they're either doing this themselves. So Sentry is a customer of Stackade and they did a ton of this by themselves. They, they wrote custom things to analyze their dependencies and they had a big spreadsheet and it's super impressive, but it's incredibly time consuming. And I think Indeed and others are 
also analyzing their dependencies and trying to figure out where to allocate money. So this is something that is happening today. Yeah. So we're looking to engage with those types of organizations and understand, you know, how Stack Eight can potentially be a part of that. So I think step one is to really engage with organizations that are receptive to it. I think that's the kind of low hanging fruit. And I think beyond that, you know, there's there's or- organizations that are certainly consuming large portion of open source, and you know, there's kind of a a, sell, a s- different sales process around, you know, here are the ways that you engage with open source at those organizations. Funding is one aspect of that. And so I think over time, that's where that conversation is going. But I think the organizations that are currently funding open source to some degree, you know, they're kind of making the case for that. And and we, you know, we're trying to expand that conversation and, and as well as piggyback off of that. Right. Yeah. It's nice that it's kind of the zeitgeist is that it seems that support has really changed in the past, I don't know, maybe 10 years to like open source is something we can try or should try to open source is something that, you know, is the infrastructure of the internet in a lot of ways and something that, you know, almost the, the ethical impetus is to support open source projects and to also be a part of that if you're able. Um, so, okay, I, I guess one more important question then, if I'm an open source developer, what what are actions I can take to be proactive about, I, I guess, making sure that I'm, I'm covered by StackAid or that, you know, that I'm doing the right things to seek funding? Yeah, I think, you know, what one, one theory that we have <coughs> is that, you know, the, there are organizations like we were just talking about that are attuned and are willing to donate, but I... I actually think a fundamental shift will, is dependent on individual developers donating and uh, independent of the platform, but actively participating in that way of funding open source, be it GitHub sponsors, Open Collective, Stackade, Thanks.dev. Any of those platforms is a good way to start, but there, there has, you know, we have to have that expectation that developers are doing this just like they do other types of open source contributions. And I think that that groundswell of developers participating and educating and kind of demanding this in their organizations is what actually turns the tide. And so our focus initially is actually to get individual developers to come on board. And we we hope that we're, you know, one of those solutions that makes it a lot simpler. But if GitHub sponsors is the way that you do it, great, right? Go go on there, fund fund the people or the projects that you really care about. But I think that speaks volumes, right? And that, I, I think, is the thing that actually moves the needle. And those platforms have made it simpler. We hopefully have made it simpler based on, you know, what some set of people care about. But, you know, our, our goal is to evangelize individual developers uh, contributing more. Yeah. Yeah, that's a noble conceit and definitely one of those things that I think all of the people listening to the show can probably relate to. I certainly identify with it. I, one of the things I've been mulling over a lot lately, especially especially in the past few weeks, I've been like reconsidering my personal budget and the way I allocate money for things, is that I, I think I would like to be a little more public in sharing and explaining the, the ways that I spend money in for good ways, right? Like charities that I donate to on one side, but open source things that I donate to, projects that I support. And also, this is more on the creator economy side, but like Patreon, things like that, where there's like, you know, I love this podcast, so I give them a dollar a month, which is, you know, more than they would ever get from me clicking on ads. I could click ads every day for a week and I wouldn't give them a buck. And it goes a lot further than you'd think. And it's, it's funny, I've been kind of thinking that that's something that belongs in my 
almost public profile. Like I should be sharing this somewhere and making that a part of the, my, my persona, my support for the world. And I think that that's something that we have a great opportunity to do with projects like Stackade and with other things that we all participate in, because it also creates that social pressure and that impression, that expectation, that part of being a, a good citizen as a developer when you can, and if you can, and if you have, you know, the, honestly, the mountains of privilege that I'm sitting on top of, like you should be giving back. I really like that. And I, one of the things that I like about Stackade is honestly the, the tree view of dependencies and seeing the amount of impact that you know, even a few bucks a month can have is like visceral. And you really feel like you, you see that not only are you using this cascade of things to power whatever project you're working on, but you can also give back to them fairly directly. And there's infrastructure in place to do that for you. I think that's really exciting. And I think it's a noble cause. And I'm hoping it's something that a lot of the folks who are listening to the podcast will be able to jump into and go headlong into supporting, but also benefiting from. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, I think what you're saying really resonates with us in that how you spend your money matters. You know, yeah. we are in a position of privilege where, you know, we, we have discretionary money that we can funnel towards things. And I think, I think you nailed it. You know, a lot of these developers are getting, you know, at the moment, maybe a couple of bucks per month, you know, we're still small, but I think it, it really matters to those developers, partly because it is a real recognition of what they're doing. And they know that someone took the time and their money you know, to do that. And I think that's super powerful. I think it's easy to dismiss it as, oh, it's, you know, it's a trivial sum of money or something of the sort. But, you know, when you're working on something and a lot of times, you know, you can look at your NPM install numbers like, oh yeah, that's through the roof. But this is, you know, getting an email from someone saying like, I like your project. That's really visceral as well. But also yeah. just like people are actually just paying. I think that's an incredible way. And so, Hopefully people are not put off by, you know, initially like, oh, the, the dollar amounts are not significant, but it, it, it supports that individual at so many different levels. And so, yeah, how you spend your money matters and, and it has a really great upside on the other, other side of it. Yeah. It's pretty profound and an energizing thing for me. Well, Dudley, thanks so much for coming and hanging out today. I have two important questions for you before I let you go. One is I want to know how APIs You Won't Hate listeners can find you and talk to you if they're interested. And where can they go to get started with Stackade? Absolutely. Yeah, so you can email me at Dudley, D-U-D-L-E-Y at stackade.us. And our website is stackade.us. I think if you search for Stackade on Google, we're number one. And, you know, as we were chatting earlier, it's it's super simple to get started. If you run into any issues, please reach out and we're, we're happy to answer questions. But yeah, it's pretty self-service at the moment. Just click on the button OAuth and then hopefully you're off to the races. And yeah, always looking for more feedback. And um, yeah, I know we, we appreciate every, every person who signs up and happy to answer questions. Great. Wonderful. Dudley, thanks so much for hanging out today. It's been a pleasure having you and I'd love to catch up again, you know, maybe in a few months or a year down the line to see how things are going. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Take care. Bye-bye.